Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome everybody to our last What Great Principals Do session for this for this time around. Maybe we'll just make this an annual study. It's such a great book. I feel like you could study it definitely every single year and uh, continue to learn more and more uh, from it. And so um, if this is your first session live with us, welcome. And if you're listening to the recording, thank you for uh, being part of our uh, school leader community and uh, being part of our study. Uh, so I've got a couple goals you know, today. Now, I may have read a different version of the book than you all, but my book has 20 chapters, and I don't know, so maybe they're not always the same, uh, but I was going to take you through how I uh, communicate expectations, because uh, chapter 19 in my book is um, setting expectations at the start of the school year, and what a, what a really, really important piece, and I really love what you know Whitaker's talking, so I'm going to just share a little bit from there. I've got some resources that I'm going to add to your to your webpage, and one in particular uh, that we that we uh, created is a is a principal's quarterly uh, you, you know checklist, and these are all of the things that uh, we want to happen during during the school year. But sometimes, as Grace was just sharing, the year gets so busy that we forget things. So I'm going to put a link to um, it's about 95% done. I'll put it here in the uh, chat, and we'll. We'll, we'll spend a couple of minutes looking at it and, you know, talking about it. But the other part that we also have that I really like is we've uh, created a list of daily expectations that you should have, uh, we feel, school-wide or in your classroom. And it may not, you know, it may not specifically align to your model, um, but you can take it and start to amend it to align to what you need. So right there is that principal's checklist. So let me start by just sharing that uh, that fish story that uh, Grace Grace was just just alluding to. And yes, it is a real fish. And yes, it was a grouper caught in the Gulf of Mexico on my uncle's boat a few years ago. And um, and if I've never caught a grouper uh, before, but if anybody um, has, you'll know. Like they will physically like pull you to the to like like the ground on your boat. Uh, they're that they're that uh, strong. And so, but, but my, you know, fish story was, um, it's about a grandfather who decides to take the afternoon off and to take his grandson fishing on the bank of a local river. And so every time that the grandfather reels in a fish, he brings it over, right? And he, he, you know, puts it on the, you know, measuring tape, right? If you've ever gone fishing before, there's a limit of how big the fish has uh, to be to take it. And the grandson is noticing over time that every fish that the grandfather throws back is a big, giant fish. And he's only keeping the very, very small fish. 
And so the grandson's getting really frustrated with him. He says, you know, Grandpa, uh, why, why do you keep throwing away all the big fish? Those are the fish that we came to catch. And the grandfather says, oh, well, those larger ones are too big for my frying pan. So Grandpa, the boy says, he says, look, you don't need smaller fish. You need a bigger frying pan. Now, you're all familiar with the work that I do, and I try to, you know, I try to live this principle, right? And I try to ensure that we as school leaders don't let this principle of we have a small pan, therefore we, we're not either worthy of big fish or we can't plan for big fish or we can't hold big fish expectations. Sometimes we don't have the confidence or the capacity to really handle those really big ideas. And I hope more than anything that you've learned from these nine sessions is that you are all fully equipped and abundantly created to, to do whatever it is that you aim to do with your school and the impact. And, and, and sometimes in education, we live by this, you know, small pan mindset. And if anything has taught everybody over the last 12 months, no, no pan could ever hold us. No pan, right? We just taught the entire world in a totally different way, right? We took, we took, we took thousands of years of education as we knew it, 500 years of a, of a classroom, you know, structure education as, you know, uh, people knew it, and completely debunked all of those, you know, theories that education has to be a specific way. And we all know that education can be any way that we choose it to be. We're always learning, right? There is no cap to our own uh, capacity. So hopefully you're not living with a, with a small pan mentality. But what happens is, is that the size of our expectations will determine what we, what we keep and who we, and who we attract. And it's interesting. I just hired, I just helped, uh, a, a couple of charter schools hire some leaders and the best leader, it was so obvious who the best leader was, but the first thing that the board said was, well, they're probably not going to stay with us and we can't afford them. And I said, well, so what, you're going to settle for less? Like you're not even going to offer the person a job because you already have this, this small pan mentality, get rid of the small pan, right? Now, it's very hard here at the end of the school year, right? This is when we start, like, spring starts to happen, and maybe we start to loosen up the reins a little, right? We, we tend to sometimes lose those expectations. And I remember one really great um, uh, leader who worked with me and my company, and he was one of the teachers when I was a principal, and, and you know, a lot of you know uh, Jeff is who I'm referring to. Jeff you know, took over a school and he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to keep those expectations high for all 185 days, all 200 days of employment. I remember asking him at the end of his first year back as a principal, I said, how did it go? And he said, uh, I lasted to about like 165 days. He's like, that, that was, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't. I was just like, oh, just, just let them get it done. But you set the bar as a leader and you get what you fight for. So when I think about when I read Todd Todd Whitaker's you know chapter here on on expectations and setting these expectations at the start of the year, 
And he says, I love the cycle of the school year because it starts with this great anticipation, this great excitement, this, this energy of that first day. So I have seven steps that I take to communicate an expectation because an expectation is defined as believing that something is going to happen or believing that something should happen in a certain way. But however, any expectation not communicated is just a thought, right? So if you're starting that year with all these really high-level expectations, but you're not communicating them, it's irrelevant. Now, I know I struggle with communicating expectations. It's something that I've had to work on over my uh, career. And sometimes I'll allow my faulty assumptions to close that expectation gap, which, which never gets very good results, right? And so, um, you know, one issue that I see with a lot of organizations we work with that are underperforming is this, is this, this, you know, lack of clear expectations. What is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want it to look like? And as a result, the, the organization suffers and uh, people quit other people. So those seven steps. Number one, you got to get clear yourself, Right. You got to get clear yourself. Now, most things are crystal clear in our head, but if we can't clearly articulate them down on paper and verbally, we're not ready to share them, right? We don't understand them enough if we can't do it. So one exercise is to take 15 minutes every day, right? Not type, write it out. What is it that I really want to see in my school or in my organization or with this initiative? Like, what is it that I really want to see? And we think in pictures. So you got to calm your mind down and you got to be able to just just get it out, right? From um, even if you have to verbally say it out loud, right? Whatever it is, get it out. Get really clear yourself. Step two is within that clarity of of the picture decide where you need to set expectations right so think about where the gaps currently exist in the school you lead or on your team or the actions of others or even yourself because results leave clues you got to take a look at what are your current results in these areas and figure out where you're falling short and define exactly what needs to change And if you're not sure what needs to change, go observe or ask someone who leads a higher performing school than you, right? Or a school that, you know, you know, works better operationally or has had, you know, a greater success because it's really hard to have vision when you have yet to open your eyes. If your school is the only school that you've ever seen, you don't know what's out there. So get out to other schools if you can in a safe way and really see how the school is operating. I really ask specific questions of, you know, potential mentors about how they, how they meet, you know, certain aspects of their school, how they're doing, you know, certain school improvement initiatives. Step three is to understand the why and providing others with the context and the justification for expectations is going to increase the accountability. Right? Helping people understand the bigger picture and how they're meeting that expectation helps achieve the bigger picture goals is going to accelerate their support. If people don't, you know, they first of all have to buy into you, the leader, before they'll buy in. And then you have to be able to paint them in the picture of what success looks like. 
And I love doing this, you know, when we have our disc of personality profiles and really looking at the strengths of people, you know, you know, you can use our strengths finders or whatever it may be and, and, and really get clear on what people are good at and make sure that, that you put them in a position of success and paint them in the picture of the future of the organization. So we're going to get clear ourselves, decide where to set expectations and understand the why. Okay. So that in your chat box right now, that spreadsheet has all lists of per like quarter, like things that can be happening. And what you can do is you can download this list here, right? You can download this list and you can look at, so we're, we're right now in the fourth quarter, right? You could start to, and this is you know broken down by our um, indicators. We've got our 10, 10 um, indicators of uh, uh, success of a school. And you could go to every indicator and you could you know, make this more in tune to your school and all the things that need to happen in the fourth quarter through the summer. And you could put a due date and you could put a person responsible and you could, you know, say who it was, you know, because it might be Tom Miller's responsible, but I delegated it to, you know, Grace, right? So there's, you know, sometimes there's there's a difference between who's responsible for it and who's actually required to do it. Two different things. And so this, there's been lots, lots of different charts. You know, I finalized the summer plan. Get ready for next year. Make sure enrollment packets are set. Make sure all the teacher observations are done. I mean, this thing goes on and on and on. It's a really big list. Um, but what we've done is we've tried to break down every single quarter of the school year and then two sections of your summer year, right? There's a summer action list, and then there's the day, um, there's the uh, summer to the first 20 days of school. That's, a, that's especially important if you're a, a charter school leader uh, because they get, um, that's where their, um, you know, ADM comes from. And actually in the school district, you probably have an ADM date too, right? Where those first 20 days of school is so important to make sure the kids, kids you know, show up and you have all those uh, pieces in place. So getting clear yourself, decide where you need to set expectations, understand the why. Number four is to meet with employees to discuss the expectations. You get, again, you take that list and you say, hey, here's the overall outcome that we would like to have. Uh, here's, here are my expectations around it, right? I'm going to create a task analysis or, or a step-by-step -step of what I want that to specifically look like, okay? A step-by-step -step of what that, what that would look like. You know, what are, the, what are the tangible evidences of, you know, success? And get really, really clear about what your expectations of them. And then once you're done that meeting, you're going to gain agreement and commitment. That's step five. And this is so once you have documented your expectations, both you and the employee should read them, ensure that you're on the same page, and commit to these new expectations. And I recommend you have some sort of, you know, culture contract type thing, right? This is, this is what we've all agreed on. This is the, this is the a commitment to what we're trying, you know, to get to. And this can be at a big level or a small level, it doesn't really matter, right? Could be your whole staff, could be a team, could be a, a department, or could be an individual where you're just clarifying the expectations of what, of what you expect. So we've gotten clear ourselves. We decided where we need to set expectations. We make sure we understand the why, we paint the big picture of it. We met with the employee to discuss the expectations. 
We've gained agreement and commitment from that employee to make sure we're all on the same page and everybody understands. And then step six is to inspect what you expect. You can't lead from behind your desk. So leading by walking around and checking in with your people and ensure that they understand and are following through with whatever those agreed upon expectations are. I think the principal walkthrough, which I believe I've shared our principal walkthrough sheet, but again, in this daily expectations, um, not the principal checklist, but I'm about to share with you this other document, with these expectations sheet about what school-wide should look like, like that's you getting it out of your head and down on paper to ensure that everybody, everybody is aware of what you expect, like how we transition in the hallway, what we want the classroom to be set up like, okay? Um, uh, how, how we, you know, communicate our lesson plans. I mean, whatever those pieces may be, and I'm going to put this one up so you guys can just take a look, and then I'll drop the link in there. So say so you're able to take, take a look at it here. Let's see if this is the sheet that comes up. Yeah. So the expectations, and this one is a well-managed classroom, right? So these are my expectations about, you know, class preparation before students arrive. Um, you know, have the students uh, set up, no open seats in the front row. There's a visible do it now activity. There's an area for luggage. Um, this is how, you know, students line up at the door. This is the in-classroom procedures. I mean, whatever, ooh, whatever it may be. Why did it do that? Didn't like that. Whatever it may be that you want to see happen, right? When you're leading by walking around, when you're leading by walking around, now, that vision you had in your head, right, in step one, when you got clear yourself, when you got clear yourself, now you're able to actually walk around the school and go, hmm, that doesn't look like what I envisioned it to be, right? Here's one of the examples, the well-managed classroom. That doesn't look like what I wanted it to be. Now, everybody on this call and on the recording. If I don't take the time and effort to get clear myself and also decide where I'm going to set expectations, I'm never going to be able to truly inspect what I expect because I don't even know what it looks like. Right? I ask teachers when I coach them all the time, when I come into your classroom, tell me what an engaged classroom looks like. What should your classroom look like working at its optimum level? What should it sound like? What should I see? I don't know. I'm a guest in your class. You tell me. And if they haven't done that work, this is where I start them off with. I said, well, you, you got to write it out. What does it look like? How are kids transitioning? Because if you don't know, how are they going to know? This is the same thing, right? So, I got clear myself. I decided where I'm going to meet expectations. I understand the why. I meet with employees. I gain agreement and commitment. And now I'm inspecting what I expect. And I'm doing this by walking around and asking questions and getting really, really curious. And the final step, maybe the most important step, is I address the little things immediately. Little things eventually lead to big things. Little things always lead to big things, right? And again, if you don't follow those first three steps, you're, you're not going to be able to clearly express your expectations and just say, hey, 
here's what we agreed on. We agreed that, you know, all students would keep their bags over here in this luggage area because, you know, they're, you know, digging into their bag and getting their cell phone or whatever else. And we want kids to have these three items in their desk and be prepared. However, when I come into your class, it's not what I see. I see kids with bags. I see some kids wearing coats. Help me understand. I can't have that conversation, everybody, if I haven't if I haven't taken the time to get agreement and commitment with our expectations, and if I don't do that, there if I do it, then there is no confusion, right? About what we expected. But if I don't do it, then any answer will work. And there's a great if you're a Seinfeld lover. I love Seinfeld. It's one of my favorite shows. I think George Costanza is maybe one of the best mm-hmm. characters of all time. And early in Seinfeld's career, he got a job and he ended up uh, you know, staying late and he had r- relations with the uh, custodial you know, staff. It was a Portuguese woman or something. And the next day, he got called into his boss's office about having relations on his desk after hours with one of the employees. And his first words, everybody, now you all know George Costanza, so just, he said, was that wrong? Was I not able to do that? Because nobody told me that during orientation that I couldn't do that. (laughs) Now tell me if that crazy story and example doesn't even think of one employee that you either have now or have worked with who has said to you, Oh, I didn't know that's what we were supposed to do. Oh, I didn't know you meant like 7.30, like, you know, ready to teach. I thought it was just here by 7.30. You have to get really clear on your expectations, right? So when Whitaker says set expectations at the start of the year, it's because we all start on an even, an even, everybody's perfect, right? Everybody's that 10. Everybody's that level 10 that you need them to be and you're communicating exactly what you believe this school, this organization, this team working at its best level, this is what it will look like every single day. And I'll never forget working with this very, very low underperforming school. And they were about to have their, um, I think it's called advanced ed accreditation, right? It used to be called SACS, but I think it's advanced ed now. Now this school, had never not been an F on its report card, has had many challenges, and I couldn't believe, first of all, that they even had this accreditation, but good for them. And so I show up on the day of the accreditation, and all this work had been leading up to it, and I'll tell you what, everybody, the place was spotless, kids were in desks, uniforms were on, and everything there was perfect. And I looked at the principal and I said, excellent. You have now created the new bottom line for this school. It should never, ever deteriorate lower than what you have got them to right now. Now, you all know how long that lasted. At best, 24 to 48 hours. Because they only did it for that event. And leadership is not an event. It's a daily, it's a daily fight between the culture and the plan. But if you don't have clearly laid out expectations in a plan that you can communicate, 
you won't be able to get them there, right? And so this whole, you know, chapter is, is really about this, um, you know, my, my interpretation of what he's uh, getting at here, this whole, we're still undefeated and it's, you know, the start of the year is prime time. And it's, but if you've got this, you know, checklist and you've got these daily expectation sheet, and it's not that you want to turn everything in your organization into a checklist. You don't, but you have to start somewhere. Like you have to start to really build and say, Hey, this is what we all agree. You could sit with your staff and say, hey, what, what would a well-managed classroom look like? Let's just think of our best teachers on campus, right? Let's just think of the, of the classrooms that tended just to get the best results. What are, some of the, what are some of the tangible structural components of that? Because we all know that, that the difference is that the teacher is the variable and their ability to build relationships and connect with kids. I mean, that's really what makes the difference. But, you know, because of relations, right, a rigor without relations just equals resistance. So, but we got to have some sort of structure, and then we can help individuals work on their relationships. And I love, it's on page 132 in uh, my book, but he's got these, these you know, um, these three uh, guidelines that I, gosh, when I read this, I was like, oh my, I was just in a classroom the other day, and I saw these, these three exactly, be respectful, be prepared, and be on time. Or respect yourself, respect others, and respect your school. Big difference between the wording. And I just wrote, I said, you've got to define what these are. What does respect yourself look like? What does respect others look like? What does respect your school look like? And, you know, and if I were here, I'd put a T-chart up and I would start, you know, comparing and contrasting what these looks like with with my kids because then if I'm doing any you know sort of restorative you know justice conversation it's like what are the choices that you're making right show me how this is respecting yourself or show me how this is respecting others but if I haven't had that conversation and uh, defined it as far as the expectations for the school every behavior works So I'll stop, you know, talking. You guys have heard enough of me over the last nine weeks. What are some of your thoughts around this, either this, you know, chapter or any of the other, you know, chapters leading up uh, to this around expectations and building relations? And Well, I think part of it is not, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's not just about, having the expectations, it's about effectively communicating those expectations to your people. So um, <clears throat> I, I've been under the leadership of some who gave none, some that just drown us in, you know, written, uh, teachers are busy. They don't have time to read. If you're firing off emails, you know, every minute of the day, um, so trying to find that balance, but making sure that your expectations are clear and well communicated, I do think is a key. And I, I have, I know most principals probably do, but I have found, I do a weekly bulletin for them that just outlines the week. And I try to, any information that I need to send to them, I try to either link or include in that email that I send on Fridays that includes the bulletin um, for the following week. And, and then follow up with that during our PLCs or team meetings 
ask for questions. And, and, you know, it's funny in the book, it mentions that they're not all going to read that. <laughs> and I work so hard on it every Thursday night to make sure that it's thorough. And um, if I don't communicate well, I can tell because I start getting a lot of questions, you know, and I go back and look and it means I wasn't clear in my expectations, or at least wasn't clear in how I communicate that. So um, I just spend so much time on that to try to be thorough. And then when someone asks a question that was really an easy one. I know they didn't read it. You know, it was on the bulletin or it was in that correspondence and um, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not all going to read it. And I know it's, they're busy. I try not to judge too much, but um, I think that's a big piece of it. That's a really great point. I love, I love the self-reflection question that you had was, you know, what role did I have in this problem? Right. If they're asking me a lot of, really good high level questions it's probably i didn't it wasn't clear enough you know for me or they're helping me mm -hmm. if they're asking me low level ones i'm like okay well these particular people need a different communication plan obviously mm -hmm. right it's just you know they're not they're you know um and i do go back to like it's mentioned so often about gauging that um by my best teachers if my best teachers don't understand what i needed them to do then I feel like that's probably on me. I did not communicate that clearly. Now, if it may be a weaker teacher or one that I know may have not read that, then um, I can handle that differently with that particular teacher. But anyway. Yeah, and, and we tend to communicate in a way that serves us. So a big part of the, the, um, of the challenge is getting off your own agenda and answering the question, what is it that my people need to hear? Mm -hmm. Not is it what I think I need to say and how to say it. It's what is it that they need to hear, right? And always be asking them. So remember the, you know, the VR UOL model, right? So the vision, here's what I expected to see. Here's the reality of what we actually saw. Help me understand. Here's an opportunity to get better. The L is how could I have communicated this better so we would have gotten a better result the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Asking those key teacher leaders, where did I go wrong with my communication? How, you know, how could I have done it differently mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we're not here? Cause I don't want to be here. I want to already be there, right? But we're not, we're here because of me and I'm okay with that. I just need to know for next time, how do I do it better? That's good. Thanks Tammy for always sharing, it's great stuff. So this back to school night, and it, I'm sure it was harder, obviously under COVID. Maybe some of you had a virtual, you know, back to school night. But why? But why does why does Whitaker talk about that? This is a real important. This is a real important, um, you know, strategy for the school year. Everybody has a clean clean slate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I always see it as a great time to build that initial relationship, right, on a positive side, and. Um, and what I realized, though, is because of our faulty assumptions sometimes, beginning teachers don't know what this should look like. I know for sure beginning uh, principals don't know what it would look like. I remember my first back-to-school night as a principal, I set up the schedule just like the students would, you know, follow, right, per day. And I had the bell schedule. We put all this extra time and work in it. It's because I remember as a kid, that's what we did. That's how, you know, the school that I did it. And oh my gosh, did everybody hate it. 
<laughs> At least they told me they hated it. Uh, never do that again, Tom. Just just let us walk around and do whatever we want. I was like, oh, you know, okay, right? Because I was just, I was just, you know, influenced by, you know, by other people. And so it is important, right, to build that back to school night and make sure your brand new people know and understand. Again, here's the expectations. Here's the goal of this. And for, you know, charter school folks, like I see it as a really great, it's a touch point, right? Because most of you in the district may not know that a charter school starts when it, 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 it starts to receive money based upon the first day that a child actually physically shows up and comes to school, right? So if they don't show up those first three days, that's 15% of their, um, of their ADM that they're not going to get uh, paid for. So I always say it's a critical, critical touch point. Right. So the first phone call home from, you know, from a teacher is, you know, scripted. Hey, I'm calling all of my kids today, so I don't have a lot of time to talk, but just want to make sure you're coming to back to school night. It's going to be a great event. You're going to learn X, Y, Z. And are you coming? Great. I can count you for actually being there. Right. So that's touch point number one. And then they show up for back to school night. Same enthusiasm, same, same, you know, like opportunity. And hey, this is great. These are the expectations of the classroom. You know, this is going to be a great year. Here's my way to contact. I mean, whatever the teacher is communicating their expectations out. And then it's another really great uh, touch point to get information and say, hey, by the way, first day of school is August 19th. Make sure you're there, right? And give them like a little reminder on the way out. I remember my first back to school night as a parent for my uh, kindergarten child. And we spent 45 minutes filling out paperwork and hearing about if you didn't fill out the paperwork or if you didn't turn in things on time or how the homework log would be done. And I was like, oh gosh, is this kindergarten? Like, where did it go wrong? Like, this is not a place that I want. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like part of the community. I felt like part of the problem, right? So how you set up that back to school night really kind of gauges the year. But if you don't set expectations for the back to school night, and you leave it to full autonomy with all of your teachers, guess what, everybody? You get what you fight for. <laughs> and it's going to be an interesting, interesting start to your school year. Who else wants to share either about, you know, back to school night or communicating expectations? I shared with someone this afternoon how important this first, the very first week of school is in 30 some years. And I'm sure the others on here that have been principal or taught for a long time, that first day sets the tone for the whole year. Mm -hmm. The whole year. If it starts out smooth, you're gonna have a smooth year. If it starts out bumpy, you're gonna have a bumpy year. And I've never seen it be any different. I mean, sometimes things you can't control. I remember one year we had an accident at Fort Bragg and that whole year was challenging. And I, I just, you know, you've got to be involved and put on a positive note and have everything in place on day one. Yeah. And, and those, those, you know, in-service days leading up to that too, Mary, right, about you know, we always try to jam so many things into those in-service days, but we have to kind of balance that. And a big part of this balance has to be, um, you know, classroom management expectations. And, and I love what Todd, you know, breaks down. In my book, it's on page 134 
through 136, but he says, hey, what are all the ways, right? What are all the tips and, and like the strategies that we have to improve classroom management? And we list out all those things, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, great ideas, you know, uh, going back and he's, and he says, um, now, which of these approaches always work? And everybody is, well, they don't always work, right? You know, there's, there's, you know, none of them are going to work every single time. So you've got to be able to be flexible as a teacher. But then he starts to talk about, you know, how often the most effective teachers do it versus the ineffective teachers. And me being back in a classroom over this past year, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, those, those, you know, teachers that really struggle with classroom management, it seems like they're just constantly reaching for things, right? Oh, I tried this, I tried that, I tried that. You know, compared to those more effective teachers, like, they don't have to reach into their bag so many times. What's the difference, everybody? What do you think? You guys are around enough really effective and ineffective teachers. What do you think is the difference between the one who only has to use their tricks every once in a while compared to the ones that just seem like they're constantly grasping? They're organized and the children are on task all of the time. They don't have time to, they don't need to use all those tricks and traits because it's productive and happy and the kids are working and that's what I and think. they have what clear you, what? Grace? Expectations. Yeah. The clear children know what to do. And relationships with the kiddos. That they know their kids. So if they're engaged and they're busy and they have a relationship with you, and you know that you know they know that you're not going to ask them anything that they shouldn't be doing uh then i think that cuts down on it as well yeah that's great lindsay and and it's so true right because because then he says well when when do we bring sarcasm and you know sarcasm never works and i was so bad as a principal i i had no idea that this you know doesn't work because uh, I think I lived by it, and and I could just like if I could find all those poor middle school kids to see how old would they be now, so that was uh, 12, 12 years ago. So they're all like twenty one, twenty two, and oh my gosh, like just you know go back to each one of them and say I'm so sorry. I thought for some reason sarcasm would motivate you in some you know capacity, and clearly it doesn't, and it's never okay, right? But I don't ever remember starting off a school year, and talking about expectations and saying, we don't yell at children. We don't yell at our peers. We don't use, you know, sarcastic. We don't laugh at people, right? That was never a conversation. But because it was never a conversation, it happened. And if I tried to hold so someone accountable for using sarcasm in the classroom, all they have to do is go, that's all you ever do is use sarcasm, right? I was not the model that we needed at our school. And and so that's really important that the head of school, you know, needs to walk the talk. They need to make sure that one, that they're leading themselves, right? That's that respect yourself so that you can respect others. The relationship you have with you is going to reflect in the relationship that you have with other people. So going to Lindsay's point, right? These, you know, teachers with high expectations, because, you know, Whitaker talks about that earlier, right? <laughs> Remember he said, effective teachers and, in, and ineffective teachers both have high expectations for kids. But the biggest difference is, right, is how those effective teachers utilize their ability to create relationships and connections and don't ever make kids feel bad.
So as leaders, we have to abide by that and understand that same rule. What were you going to say, Lindsay? You look like you're going to say something really important like you always do. Something just great. No, I ditto everything you are saying. I didn't have anything on the tip of my tongue that time. Yeah. I mean, right? So like even as a parent, like I think of it as a parent, right? This is on page 136 for me. He says, who asks or who decides how many arguments you get in in a week? I was like, oh, great. Me, right? Everything's a choice. Everything's a choice. Everything is a choice. And just as much as we choose to get into arguments, we also have to make choices to make sure expectations are clearly communicated. And that, you know, like when I go on a principal walkthrough and the principal doesn't actually go into the classroom, I get really confused. Like, but that's where the action is. Do you not want to interrupt class? Like, tell me what's going on, because right? I just barge right in, because I want to look over the shoulder. I want to know what's happening at that desk compared to what's happening at that whiteboard, right? Or in our world now, like, you know, on the, on the computer or whatever. But, like, uh, that's a choice. Now, we're in North, a lot of us are in North Carolina on this call, and some of you are in Texas and, and Arkansas and, you know, places across. Now, we have we have hurricanes here, and I think you guys have hurricanes there, right? Is there, is there hurricanes in Arkansas? Does that happen? Does it make Tornadoes. it up that far? Probably not, right? Tornadoes. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Okay. So, like, a hurricane, if you look at it from satellite, is very organized. It's very organized. And you're like, oh, that doesn't look too bad. It looks like a big storm. Now, if you've ever lived through a hurricane, you know if you're in the middle of it, like, stuff is fine. I'm sure, like, a tornado is the same way. And I always explain it to that way of, you know, like of the principles, like, hey, look, if we're out here in the hallway, we can look through that classroom door and we can see what it looks like kids are actually engaged in doing what they're supposed to do. Or we can make a choice and we can open the door and we can walk in and we can listen and we can observe and we can see whether or not what we thought was organized was really organized chaos. Because if I look over the shoulder and see that one child's doing English during math class and another child's, you know, uh, you know, doing math wrong and another child's on the wrong page. Well, what I thought at one point was organized is now very disorganized. And again, that goes down to expectations. So you can't set expectations without actually making the choice to take the step in, to lean in, to ask kids questions, to understand if they're learning, to really have an understanding of what's happening in the class. And you don't need to know the whole, you know, standard and all those other pieces. You you could just sit in there for five minutes and you know, like, this is not, this is not right. <laughs> Something very, very wrong is happening here. Something very wrong is happening here. And you got to trust yourself. Like, if you feel off, it's off. And that's where that last step, right, that, that, last, that last step of the expectation is to make big things out of little things is to really just ask a question. Say, hey, I just happened to be in your room and two or three kids were kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, I don't know if you noticed, if you kind of walked around, you didn't walk around while I was in there, right? And so just help, help me understand, why is little Johnny doing English during math class? Is that, is that something that you okayed with him? No, I didn't know he was doing that. Okay, well, I'm letting you know he is. <laughs> so you probably want to make sure you're walking around. Now, what up, right? So that's the opportunity, you know, the oh, and you go back and you bring them back. 
And that's right having an impact as a principal and making a, a difference as a principal. I mean, that's, that's your job. That's your job is to really raise those expectations through intentional action. And you are the sum of your choices, right? You are the sum of your actions and you're going to get the results that you choose to get. And the best leaders do it in a very caring way with candor. I'm still learning on that. That's my that's my 2021 project. What does care and candor look like to be able to do it well? So I would love love you know to know right. Um, so his his last you know uh, chapter in my book is about you know uh, clarifying your core right. So he says I believe that to improve your school you have to improve the teachers or hire uh, better teachers um, that. You know, you've got to spend your time as a leader doing the most effective things. And so he, you know, like a like a go-to to a lot of uh, principals is, oh, I, you know, I collect lesson plans and I do that. And I was right here with Whitaker. I was like, yeah, I tried that too. And then I realized I spent no time doing it. And it didn't really raise raise the quality of instruction going on. What was going to raise the quality of instruction was, you know, teachers practicing and getting better and learning how to fail forward and understanding the tools that they had and us eliminating barriers from them because we had so many darn things that we asked the teachers to do. It was, it was overwhelming. And so really making sure that you are following those three R's, that you're working every day with what's required of me, what does the organization get the greatest return when I do them, and what's and what's 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 the reward? What really fills my heart? Make sure every minute of your day is really focused on growing uh, your organization. You know, through those through those three uh, three questions, and really spending 90% of your day in your strength zone, and never a minute outside of your comfort zone. Just be constantly gulping. Don't drown. Drowning's bad, Grace. Gulping gulping's fine, right? And so I like what he says, like I think it is as a blueprint and the principles are the architects and the teachers establish the foundation, the students move into the building and fill it with life and meaning. And that's what we've tried to do. And that's one of our tools in our programs is the Principal Leadership Academy. It's our blueprint for success. It's where a lot of these tools that I've shared on the side, you know, come from. And what we really try to do is to, is to help, help, the, uh, help the principal create you know, that, you know, blueprint of what success would look like in all aspects of their school and of their organization. And I really love this, you know, Whitaker book because a, a, a paper bag doesn't stand on its own. And I think this, this book really helps fill you with values and understanding and a, and a plan and a structure in order to um, not just grow yourself, right, but to really help you develop those around you. So what are you going to do next? What are your next steps, right? So that's so that's the key. So I would love to love to hear from from the folks here on the call, right? After going through this nine weeks of of the study, you know what what is a good step for you? You know how how are you going to be working to improve yourself uh, uh, through this you know process, and how are you going to continue that uh, learning? Grace and I are going to be working with a group of employees to help them grow and be the best that they can be. 
And something I learned a few years ago, we had a group of teachers in science and some of them scored really high, but when you go in the classroom to do observations, their observations were not that great. And then there were some other teachers who scored terrible, but when you go in their classrooms, all of their observations were at the top. So I actually took, because my expertise was not in the area of um, chemistry, so I found a chemistry person to go with me to this classroom, a couple of them. And what I found out was that this teacher who's so polished has been doing it for 15 or 20 years was actually teaching the incorrect content. So it looked mm. like they knew what they were doing, but they really did not know what they were doing. So I think our, the challenge will be in working with a group of people is to get them to really know themselves. I mean, pull some kind of data, whether it's test scores or something and put it out there and let them decide for themselves. You know, I thought I knew chemistry, but I really don't. And maybe that's why my scores are low. I'm a good teacher, but I don't know my content. Or it could be the other way around. And when you're trying to build a leader you don't really know what the core of a person is. So unless you start with that relationship and the connections and, you know, the disc or whoever they are, it doesn't matter whether I know or Grace knows where they are, they have to know. So that's going to be our next step is working with a, a group of um, a leadership team, we'll call them, group of leaders. I love that. And I just put Mary four uh, questions in the chat, right? Is, you know, everybody could start with these four. It's what is it that you really want, right? What is it that you really want? Why do you want it? How will you feel once you have it? And what steps can you take now, right? So what I heard you bring is awareness to that group. He was like, hey, this is crazy. Like, we've got these observations, and these folks seem to be doing well, yet their scores are so much lower, and these, you know, but, you know, these are higher, right? So, what, so, you know, what's, what's the misalignment? And that takes choice. It's a choice to really dive into those rooms and see what the difference is compared to, you know, 12 years ago, I may have just said, well, these, you know, teachers just ain't getting it done. We've got to replace them, right? They're not getting results where now I've realized, man, those were the people that I should have worked harder with because those were the ones that had a great core and were very coachable. We just didn't have an intentional plan to help them get from here to there. That's great. Well, that'll be fun with Grace. Any time with Grace is a great time, right, Grace? We're, we're going to work on this retirement at some point. So I'm, I'm still waiting. Five years later, I'm still waiting for it. How about you, Lindsay and Tammy? What, what are you going to do? What are your next steps? Ms. Edwards, you want to go first? Then I'll go. Um, <clears throat> I can go. Okay, go for it. Okay, I was thinking, I was just going through like the last part about the 20 things that matter most, like the different topics that we've talked about and what I can make my action steps from what I'm going to take away from this book study and the things that I feel like 
you know, um, that I need to improve on the most. And so um, this last this last reading was really um, struck a chord with me because for sure I need to work on my expectations and communicating those expectations. I do have high expectations, but how I communicate them just today, Ms. Edwards and myself were working on like the end of year checklist and what I just put out there, I assume everybody understands my 900 technology spreadsheets that I put on there, but I need to be clear about what I need them to do and very explicit. So just my communication, working on that, making sure that when someone reads something, uh, that it is clear what I'm asking them to do. Um, same with my expectations. And then I'm going to always remember to be good to people. Um, I, I want to treat people with dignity and respect. And um, the day that I quit being good to people and kiddos, I'm going to walk out the door here because it's not going to be worth it. But I'm also not going to be afraid to be... Um, make people feel uncomfortable when they're not doing the right things. I need to get okay with that because sometimes I get caught up trying to be a people pleaser, but I will never be a good leader if I'm not scared of some type of conflict. So I'm going to try to grow that in myself when, when others aren't um, meeting those expectations that we've all agreed on that I don't need to be afraid, um, you know, to make them uncomfortable because I need, I don't need to be the one that's uncomfortable in the room is what we read about. And then, um, the next thing is just always reminding myself to spend more time with the great, the best teachers in the building and also provide time for others to be with the best teachers in the building. So maybe that'll rub off on them as well. That's a list. Good thing we're, uh, we're uh, recording that because then we'll, we'll all be able to go. Oh no, don't measure me on that. Let's not meet back and measure me on that now. That, that is your own measurement. And, and I think that's an important part, right? Is, is, you know, when I'm coaching a leader, I'll say, what would success look like, right? So that's just a question you have to answer yourself, right? Is what will success look like under these kind of objectives that I've set for myself? Which one's most important right now? And even, you know, I'll always say, who's someone in my life that's really good at that? And that's, I'm just going to watch that person. I'm going to ask them questions. I'm gonna, hey, you, you just always seem to be able to just ask that question. How do you do that? And a lot of times they'll say, well, I adjust. I go, ah, I don't need to adjust. Something goes through your brain. Take me through it because I don't have that right now. That's not existing for me. I need to figure out what is it inside me that stops me from asking that, you know, question. And we have a lesson, Lindsay, and I can't remember if I ever shared it with you all. It's called You Are Perfect right? You are perfect. And a big part of that understanding that you are perfect is you have to um, do some observational thinking. And what we take someone through is, is you know, we say, hey, look, um, we all had this learning curve to be able to tie our shoes and walk, right? And we had this, you know, failing forward mentality. What, what was our learning system for that? How did we, how do we get there? And then you take a look at the things you didn't do. Why didn't I say that to that person? And then you ask the same question. When did I develop that learning curve, right? When did that learning system come? When did I decide to stop taking chances? When did I decide to stop, you know, and I, I, I practice this a lot, you know, it's like, I don't know. What? Why didn't I, why didn't I say what I knew I had to say? Why didn't I tell that person I loved them? Why didn't I take, when, when that person offered that chance, why did I say no? 
because it's something I want, <laughs> right? So you just have to really think about and then break through that. What is it about me or my own self kind of, you know, confidence piece that's causing me to be the most uncomfortable person in which I know I should not be the most uncomfortable person in this conversation, right? And that's, and that's, and that's just a part of the growth and that's, and that's the stuff that hurts. So awesome. Thanks for sharing and always being vulnerable. I love it. Um, how about you, Tammy? Well, my list was long too. I, um, when I finished up and, um, <clears throat> uh, one of the things that came to mind and it, it was in conjunction with having to, um, to read this was uh, I value input. I, I value input from my teachers. I value input from my leadership team, obviously from Lindsay, from my ad admin. And I always try to, to me, they're the ones that are going to have to be in the in trenches to implement things. I'm one person and they see things that I don't see. So I always, I always try to do that. But one thing that came to mind um, was that I'm an elementary school and um, K-5 and forgive my ignorance, but it hasn't really occurred to me much to ask for input from my kids about maybe how things should be. And um, I, I want, I want to do that. I'm trying to wrap my mind around what that looks like. <laughs> you know, how do you do that? But, um, I had read somewhere, uh, someone in a similar situation and they said they helped revamp the recess schedule, you know, the master schedule, just really some great ideas. And, um, that just had never occurred to me. So that's just one thing. The, uh, other things I feel like are just, yeah, I want to be able to check off all of the things in all 22 chapters and be able to say that I, I do that at least to some extent. And, um, those things that I feel like I am weaker, I, I want to, I want to work to do that. I want to, you know, um, I want this to be the best place for kids to come to learn and for teachers to come to work. I want it to be, I was telling them I want it to be a safe and happy place. Um, and you know what I, I really hit home on that when when things are I've always had the mindset when things are going well I'm going to give my teachers credit every single time because they work hard and they do or or stakeholders you know community members uh Lindsay my admin I always try to give credit where credit's due um and when things go bad I take full responsibility when things are not going well but it talked about really the buck stops with us either way, you know, um, it, it boils down to leadership. And so if things are going well, it's all well and good for me to give credit to someone else, but I'm responsible. And when things are going bad, I'm going to take the blame and, um, see what we can do better to change that. So that was a big piece too, that kind of, um, hit home with me. Yeah, I love that. That's really great reflection from a great leader. And, you know, John Maxwell, he's got his 21 laws of irreputable leadership. Mm -hmm. And he, and he says, you know, Hey, you can be great at seven laws, but those other 14 are going to get you, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not that you have to be great at all 21. You have to be aware of all 21 and you have to be working towards, you know, growth. Right. So, you know, as you mentioned, these 22 chapters of this book, third edition, I got second edition, right? So we only got 20. So Whitaker's getting better and better, right? Every time he writes it. But, you know, I mean, you know, looking at like, what's the, what would this look like in my school, 
right? Because I heard you say a safe and happy place, right? And that's that first step of getting really clear of what would this look like and feel like. And every place that is not in harmony, every place of your school or life that's not in harmony, that's where you say, hmm, I don't think this is, I don't think this is meeting my vision. What is causing this, you know, disharmony here? And so, you know, again, you know, coaching back with, you know, leaders, you have to find what's creating, you know, disharmony in your life and in your school. And you have to, you have to uproot it. You can't just, um, you know, spray some, some weed, you know, killer on it. Like you actually have to physically uproot whatever that's creating that lack of balance and that lack of harmony. And uh, you have to solve that particular problem. We as leaders are so busy at times. And I stop, I stop to try, I'm, I'm trying not to use the word busy anymore. I say engaged or active, but we get too active and too engaged sometimes that we just cover up stuff and we never get back to the actual problem, right? We're always addressing the symptom of the problem. So, you know, your team might be able to handle the symptom, right? And it's your job to uproot the problem. Be like, oh, this is re really where it's coming from, guys. We need to we need to address this. And then if you could teach them how to do that, oh my gosh, that would be huge uh, for them to be able to see the picture that way. By level, well, this has been a joy for me. Um, I'm going to leave the resources up on that, you know, uh, web page, you know, for another week if there's stuff you want to pull down. Um, going back to your point, Lindsay, I don't know if you have uh, signed up for it, but the next book that we're doing is Dare to Lead uh, by Brene Brown, which is going to really help through those courageous uh, conversations and learning to be vulnerable. Um, either way, if you're part of the study or not, we would love you to be. If you go to her website, there's a lot of really great resources for educators. And there's a whole, you know, breakdown of, of, of how, to, how to lead a study group with her books. So that's what our team's going to do. Our team's going to model um, a four-week uh, group study of, of Dare to Lead. So it's going to start May 3rd, and it's going to be 7 o'clock Eastern. So for some of you, that's, you know, closer to dinner time and, knows the other part so uh but same you know same expectation if you can't you know come in live you can you can grab the grab the um the replay when you're available so thanks for being the uh thanks for letting me live out my purpose i love i love learning and i love you know talking about learning and talking about leading I'm really excited about the growth that you all have had over nine weeks, and I'm even more excited about the impact that you're going to make in your schools, you know, because of this. So remember, keep on growing. It works if you work it, and uh, be real safe out there. Thanks, everybody. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you uh, continue to stay in, you know, some of our programs. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Principal's Office podcast. There's two things I want you to do. One is if we said anything that you liked or added value to you or helped you as a leader, please share it out, like it, and make sure you subscribe so you get the notifications when the next uh, podcast is available to you. And secondly, if you want to download the study guide and the show notes and the resources like the hiring plan and the extra lessons about how you can grow yourself and grow your team as a leader, make sure you go to our website at lbleaders.com and at the very top of the home page, you're going to see a prompt that says, join our What Great Principles Do Differently 
study, click on that, and you will be able to download all of the show notes, all of the study guides, and all of the additional resources uh, that will help you be the most effective school leader. Again, make sure you uh, subscribe, make sure you share, make sure you like, and looking forward to seeing you on the next episode where we continue to talk about Todd Whitaker's What Great Principles Do Differently. Thanks, everyone.